You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian, with me, as always, it's Harrison Crow. Say hello to everybody, Harrison. I have nothing to rant about this week. I've made that very clear. I can't even... People love the Harrison rants. They want more of the Harrison rants. No more Harrison rants. No more. Can you rant about rants? Would that be too meta? That would be very meta. Okay. Uh, We got another special guest with us this week. He's a... uh, uh, a, a, a colleague of ours at the American Soccer Analysis. Uh, he is a USSF hackathon champion. Uh, it's really cool to have Kevin Minkus here today. Say hey to everybody, Kevin. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you're very, very welcome, Kevin. <sighs> <laughs> that, that was that great. Was, that was fans getting excited. The crowd yeah. roaring. Perfect. Now I, don't, now I don't have to add that in post. That's great because yours is indistinguishable from the real sound effect, Harrison. You're so very, very good. Um, <laughs> it's good. To, uh, it's good to have you here, Kevin. Um, we talked to Elliot a couple weeks back, and we got to congratulate him personally on the whole uh, hackathon uh, uh, successes. And uh, I guess it's a good time that we can do that now and offer those congratulations to you as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I have to say the 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 group photo that you guys took afterwards uh, really resembled a, a, a great up and coming rap album. Yeah, we. Uh... That was after about 23 hours of, of hacking and maybe one hour of sleeping for most of us. So um, I think if we were going to put that on an album cover, we'd probably want to touch ourselves up a little bit the next time. Yeah, that's what Photoshop <laughs> is glad for. you thought so. Yeah. There, there is definitely some intensity kind of just, just coming off that. I did see you guys and think, like, this is soccer analytics plus punk rock. Like, it just seemed very, very cool. Um, that's how we felt while we were doing it. Yes. Yeah, right. Very punk rock. <laughs> yeah, yes. at a hackathon, you uh, would have uh, to be. Federation-sponsored hackathon is very punk. Yeah, there's nothing more punk uh, than the Federation-sponsored activities like that. So, um, well, this week uh, we are going to do our usual thing, and we got a really cool side of the week this week. And I was thinking that it might lead to some interesting discussions. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's get started this week with the stat of the week, Harrison. That is the Side of the Week theme, composed and performed by Harrison Crow. Uh, the Side of the Week this week comes from Twitter user BitNomad, uh, who says, Among forwards with greater than five appearances, these are in the top 20 of both aerials, one and passes per game. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Kai Kamara, Ola Kamara, and Bradley White Phillips. If you change to per 96 minutes, Zlatan and Kamara stay, Bradley White Phillips falls to 21st in passes, but you add in Alan Gordon, Jack McBean, and Teal Bunbury. And uh, what he mentioned later was that he wanted us to kind of have, uh, wanted us to kind of lead into a discussion a bit about uh, the fate of the target forward and our modern uh, soccer kind of philosophy that we see out there in the uh, in in the world today. And they're kind of gone by the wayside, right? Um, so I kind of thought so until I started looking at formations. And this year, it appears that there's 24 percent of all formations have included a two striker setup. Uh, and that's not to say every one of those has used a target striker, but most two striker setups have uh, have a striker in that utility role that uh, includes, among many other things, uh, that hold up play that uh, that is so frequently associated with the target striker. Right? Um, uh, are they? They're not quite synonymous, though, right? When I think of a target striker, I think of mostly lumping balls uh, up in the air. Right. And that seems to be what the question implied was that, you know, these are target strikers or guys that you're, you're uh, bombing and crosses to or you're hitting long balls for them to win with the head. Whereas hold up play seems to me to suggest a little bit. Uh, right. You're playing with your back to the goal. You're drawing defenders. You're playing with your feet a lot, too. So I don't know that there's necessarily one to one overlap, which maybe sort of muddies um, this conversation and that definition. Definitely, no, I, I, definitely, yeah. I definitely agree with you. Ian kind of brought that up earlier, right? Well, there's this idea, like, I mean, what we kind of think of, I think, is this target forward was this, this, there's these two forwards, you've got your big guy and your little guy, 
and your big guy like brings the ball down and gets it to the little guy, and the little guy does all the all the, the kind of shooting in that situation. Um, you know, that kind of goes back not that long actually, but but that was sort of like your your ideal two forward pairing is what you'd see that kind of combination a lot. Uh, and you know, less ambitious teams would not really devolve from that very very much. And I just kind of think as we've gone to one forward, the whole playing the long ball up to the one striker and then expecting him to. Um, I don't know. I, I think teams seem to try to work it more wide now than they do. Just like you see less and less of that lumping the ball straight forward. Yeah. Well, right. Twenty Kai Kamara twenty fifteen was probably that, and and San Jose in twenty twelve were like the two you know prototypical target strikers, Alan Gordon and then Kai Kamara in twenty fifteen. Yeah. Uh, well, they had both, success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of success, right? Uh, and they're both. Both those players, though, are still kicking. Kai isn't quite playing that same target role that uh, in Vancouver that he did in Columbus. But Alan Gordon's still doing the exact same thing, you know, in, in a little bit less minutes, but for the fire. Yeah, you kind of see teams switch to that more late as sort of like a, a plan B or like, okay, we're not breaking this down very well. We've only got a few minutes to go out and get ourselves a goal. Like, let's throw on a big guy and let's just lump balls to him and see what we can kind of make happen. We want to kind of try to sow chaos in the box and make them deal with a new thing. Um, so it is. It's kind of like an off-speed. You still see teams even in Europe doing that. Like, that's a that's a classic, uh, you know, go-to uh, strategy now in, like, the, the 85th minute. Just, like, just to start throwing Hail Marys up there. Yeah, no, no you're right. It's definitely, like, a, a second look rather than any team's bread and butter anymore. I, I want to talk about Kai Kamara for a second, but before we go down that road, um, do you guys think that it's it the while well, yeah the the greater international market has gone to uh, gone away from the two striker system, and I think that definitely has some influence. But I also wonder if with MLS and just the way that the economics have changed over the last few years and the fact that there's more creative players in this league, do you guys think that that also has kind of changed the way that uh, tactics have evolved in MLS? Yeah, that, that's what I was going to suggest, right? That, uh, and especially with this influx of, of allocation money and DP money that's going to creative and attacking players, um, teams aren't going to use that money to sign Peter Crouch, right? They're going to want a guy that can do a bit more than just win headers in the box. They want someone who can also create chances and, and they probably don't want to necessarily play the sort of high variance strategy that, that, uh, uh, primary target forward necessarily implies. Yeah, that being said, if a team does want to sign Peter Crouch as a DP forward, I will buy a season ticket. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, you're right. And we do see a lot more of this money now kind of splashed into the midfield, um, where previously I think you know it was more common to kind of like, oh, we got our forwards, we just want to get them the ball as quickly as possible so that they can have the ball as much as they can so they can do more because they're the better players. But now that, like, MLS rosters are definitely able to kind of fill out these areas around these strikers uh, with good and creative players. They definitely, like, they want to build up a little more slowly. They want to use those players. Like, what's the point in spending a lot of money on a midfield if you're just going to kick it over their head? Well, I mean, that's kind of what New, uh, or New England, New York, you know, we, we mentioned about uh, Bradley Wright Phillips being on this list. Um, that's kind of what New York is doing, right? But for different reasons, um, obviously. Uh, they are. They're not a super long ball team. They're very direct. I think we looked at this and, and saw that they compared to other MLS teams. Like they actually are on the lower end of like playing the longer balls. But what right. they do do is they play the ball very directly. It's it's right. often and on the, the ground. The idea is to quick. move that ball to the striker as quickly as possible, though. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen some of that change a little bit with Armis. I think coming in. I mean, I, it, not a lot. I think that he's been very thus far. Anyway, I think he's been very cautious about saying, "Oh, let's throw the baby out." You know, like let's just. You know, it's still within that thing, but they do seem to want to possess the ball just a little bit more now. Yeah, I, I pulled some stats earlier this week. They're, um, they are hitting about three more passes per shot on average under Chris Armas than they were under Jesse Marsh. And so they were one of the most direct teams under Jesse Marsh. They're now one of the least direct just by that stat under Chris Armas. So there are some changes, right? There's They're still definitely trying to press and create opportunities off the press. But um, those times when they do find themselves... Uh, and with a defense in front of them in the final third, they um, do tend to pass more and be a bit more patient, I suppose, with their uh, with their attack. Do you I think Jesse like Mars watches those games and he's like counting passes and getting mad all the way in Austria, just like they're doing it wrong? Uh, they're <laughs> they're probably good enough pals that Jesse is respectful of that relationship. 
I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. I love how Kevin gives you the the exact like play like playbook answer for for that. I'm sure he's respectful of that relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, do you work for the New York Red Bulls secretly? (laughs) No. Well, they were uh, they were two of the legends on those fire teams that I watched growing up. So. Well, so with that being said, uh, adding three passes, I mean, that's pretty significant, right, Kevin? I mean, comparatively to what you're seeing beforehand, I mean, three three extra passes doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but like looking through the data, things are, that I mean, that's significant, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a big jump, right? The difference between um, the Red Bulls, who are the most direct in the final third, and Toronto and Seattle, who are the least, is like two passes, so bumping up, you know, three from them is a, is a uh, substantial change. Yeah, that's impressive. I would not have thought that I, to my own eye test, and this is why eye tests are not always great. I would not have thought that they had added that much or, or changed things around that often. But um, three passes is like the difference between first and like least direct. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. That's why this show is educational. So going back to uh, going back to Kai Kamara real fast, I I was playing with uh, basically uh, we have the, uh, all the formations um, and starting lineups and looking at formations that had and utilized two strikers. Um, you <clears throat> we have Kai Kamara playing approximately I think it was like twelve or thirteen games. Out of those games, he has six of them with zero aerial duels won. Really. I would I would not have expected that going into the based on how Vancouver looked like they were going to play at the start of the season where they were just hitting a lot of crosses. I don't, I don't necessarily think that they've deviated from that either. Davies has obviously been much more uh I don't I don't know if confident is necessarily I I guess it is the word that confident. He's been playing knowing that his future is secure. He knows where he's going with uh Bayern Munich and he's just kind of owning it now he's doing his thing because he doesn't really have much else to lose but regardless of the fact that he's been really good their crosses haven't really dropped the the amount of crosses they've attempted haven't really dropped substantially well i think that's what we found i mean like i remember i did something looking at vancouver over the last years and like their crosses never dropped like this is just what they do that is the identity of this team whether that's good or bad um, I think if there's one difference that we've seen, it's that more so than just that Alfonso Davies is confident, I think finally they kind of let him off the leash this year. I think that he was sort of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say protected, but I, I think they definitely were trying to be like, all right, let's not like have this kid running at six giant dudes like every time we get the ball. Uh, and this year I think they're finally letting him off the leash, and I think we're starting to see a little bit different shape from them just resulting from that, like having this, this tool in their box. Uh, yeah, they they uh, they realized maybe that this was the season that he needed to make the leap. Yeah, and uh, frankly, I'm kind of surprised that Vancouver has handled Alfonso Davies' development so well that they didn't just mess it up. Maybe that's a testament to how good uh, Davies is, but it's not like Vancouver has a great track record of bringing young players up. So um, I guess that's a, a feather in uh, in Robinson's cap. Sure, I mean, like they definitely were helped by having the best youth player that we've seen come through the league in a very, very long time. Um, well, I mean, that kind of depends, I guess, on your... Certainly, like, the most um, saleable asset we've had come through the league in a very long time. I would say that. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm willing to give Carl Robinson credit for doing things right when he does them. I don't get that opportunity often, so I'll do it now. Uh, but, yeah, I just find it surprising that because if you're going to go buy, okay, like if you're going to go in the Ford and you're, you're Vancouver and like you've got a shopping list for a striker this offseason, like knowing how you play, Kai Kamara is the first person on that list that you basically want to buy, right? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the first, the top easily available person anyway. Yeah, that you can go get. Uh, you want this this guy that's just kind of an aerial duel uh, sort of guy. Maybe you look at Sapong, maybe you look at that, but Kai Kamara has always been just extra special in the air like uh kind of jeff cameron might be somebody too just (laughs) going forward you laugh jeff cameron for he has been really dominant in the air before so um as a striker you want to put him up top no no i just mean you know with their already (laughs) pairing kendall waston and everything it would be interesting 
putting him in the in that midfield, especially considering that they haven't had a lot of success with uh, you know Juarez. Yeah, anybody really uh, in a while. Um, yeah. So okay. So Kai Kamara's gone, but there are games where he has not won any aerial duels at all, and I think that just kind of goes to show that this sort of thing is kind of on the way out. Like it's crazy if you've got Kai Kamara and you're not getting him the ball in the air. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And right. And that's part of the fact that that's a high variance strategy. You're going to get games like that where you lump in 20 crosses and don't win a single one of them. That's sort of the game that, uh, Vancouver are playing. Um, yeah, that's a really great point, Kevin. It is a really high variance game, and you you know it's kind of one of those things that you're you're playing so many low probability opportunities that you know this sometimes the most likely outcome is that it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. All game. You're going to draw blanks a few games, which which um, didn't bite them sort of down the stretch last year in Vancouver, but uh, across the whole season this year they've. They've sort of struggled in playing consistently. Another guy that's kind of been that target I'm thinking of right now is um, when, he, when he was at Colorado was Dominic Baji. was frequently kind of asked to do a similar thing to this. Like if any team was sort of just, I feel like kind of doing the lump it up strategy, it might have been Colorado. Um, and now yeah. that he's gone, uh, they've switched formations. Uh, they've moved to a diamond, which is also very four or five years ago, and uh, they're finding some success with it. So like, I, I think it does kind of show that changing that personnel, okay, like we did have a target man before, but like once that player is gone, like you do have to adapt as a whole team because like if that's your focal point, you have to, you have to switch things up. Uh, I will say that the switch to the 4-4-2 seems like the first intentional decision that Colorado has made all season. That the, the idea of playing long balls up to Dominic Baji seemed more born out of not having players that could do anything else rather than something that they actually wanted to go out and accomplish. So, so I'm definitely applauding the switch to the four four two. They're a lot more fun to watch now. That game against the Galaxy a couple nights ago was enjoyable. It's fun to see Kellen Acosta on the ball and and doing things again. Yeah, he's a lot uh, higher usage here in Colorado than he was in FC Dallas. FC Dallas definitely uh, he was a very good player. He was a very um, well. We talked about it before. Like he just he wasn't on the ball as much as, as you would expect to see a, a player in that kind of role be. Uh, and I think in Colorado, he's kind of got the keys to the car now. And uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely has made Colorado infinitely more watchable. And I'm sure Harrison's uh, rankings will reflect that going forward. Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to turn out as well. <clears throat> I will say that the things that we measure within the watchability uh, rankings, it, it doesn't necessarily... Um, I, I wouldn't think that it's going to bode very well for Colorado. I think they're still going to be, you know, kind of foulish. That's that's just how they they're going to slow down the game to to some they, extent. They foul a lot, or they smell and play foully. <laughs> why not both? Well, yeah, why not both? Or why like a bird? Both? Yeah, they play you, very bird-like. I, I like that. What's that supposed to mean? There you go. Yeah. Like, well, you know, like you know, foul. F O W L. Foul. foul. Yeah, I was making a crow joke, but it didn't come off. Yeah, uh, just kind of getting to it. Yeah, I mean, they're a team that's going to, you know, pull down runners. They they definitely are going to try to slow down the game a little bit. Um, that's just it, that's just part of their DNA. But at the same time, they have a piece that's going to find a little bit open, uh, some some of the open space. You know, Acosta did this pretty well. And uh, I wrote about it on, the, uh, on Lowered Expectations this week, just um, having Acosta... Uh, play the long ball really well um, this past weekend um, in a couple different opportunities and I haven't been the strongest supporter of Kellen Acosta I feel like he's gotten a lot of um, a lot of love despite his uh, wild wildly inconsistent uh, performances Uh, but trying not to take anything away from him I thought he's been uh, really good in Colorado so far and I think that um, despite uh, the propensity to kind of drag out games and, and maybe not have these open running opportunities. Uh, he does a really good job about finding space, finding guys, uh, making the overlapping runs. And, uh, with that, um, 
taking the ball forward in opportunities as there is space and uh, creating his own shots, um, which, you know, what it, it's it's really important. We've seen that with, especially with uh, Zlatan, Ima uh, Hubrovic, uh, with all the, maybe, I guess, the defensive concentration that's kind of surrounded him over the last, um, last two weeks. Um, he's finding ways to kind of move that ball out of the midfield and it's opened the game up for Sebastian Legette. It's opened the game up for uh, Alessandrini. And um, I think that that's uh, really important to have pieces that can, can move that ball forward. And yeah, they're going to take some low percentage shots, but when you have a really open midfield, you don't have that uh, central defender, um, that, that defensive midfielder that's going to really cause issues and you're going to have your center backs already kind of preoccupied with um, either your nine quote-unquote striker or some of the overlapping wingers it's going to create some complex matchup situations that you know you might get some um, some low leverage shots that are a little bit better than what the model values yeah and I um, that is that'll be interesting, especially so, right. So you were talking about that mostly for for LA, but as that applies to Kellen Acosta, it'll be something that's interesting to watch because he did not have great shooting discipline in Dallas. He, he had a really low expected goals per shot, and so um, yeah. On the one hand, it's positive that he's sort of opening up the uh, opponent's defense and is able to draw them out, but um, you do hope that he develops a little bit more discipline in his decision making. Um, in the final third. Yeah. The, um, did you, so, uh, did you find anything else out Harrison? Like when we looked, we looked at this, this whole target man situation, were there any other numbers that stuck out to you? Um, I had kind of a few things you, you talked about early on, uh, about um, the big man, little man. And that's something that uh, Toronto FC's kind of done a lot of this year through their various forma- formations. Um, I know Giovinco, when he first kind of came in the league, he kind of played that 10 role. And <clears throat> he he's more of that uh, secondary striker playing off Josie Altador. Yeah, so, he, yeah, he kind of embraced that whole Trey Corista false 10-ish thing. Uh, we haven't yeah. seen a lot of it since, but yeah, like he definitely kind of had a unique kind of role in that team. Uh, and, but now, definitely, it, yeah. that's been really kind of interesting just to look at some of the numbers from that. Um, neither of which uh, seem to win very many aerial duels, uh, especially in the four four two. So um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that TFC, for how much uh, emphasis that they put on set plays, uh, have not been very successful so far this year from uh, in winning those aerial duels, at least from their up top pair. Yeah, and Josie's never been like a great player in the air. It's his hold up play that makes him a good fit to play next to Giovinco in that two striker role, right? He's fantastic with his back to the goal. He's fantastic at, at finding passes. He's got great soft feet. And is able to pick out runners sort of off his shoulder and draw defenses in the right way. So um, they almost don't quite use that to to win aerial balls. It's more of a um, the the two striker system is more of a way to to pull defenses around in the right ways and give Josie and, and Giovinco space to do that. Yeah. No. Totally. I totally agree. Yeah, and I think that that sort of when you think of like Josie out the door and you look at that guy back to goal. Um, you know, two defenders draped on his back, uh, turning around, like finding like nice high percentage passes. Um, I don't know. Is there anyone else in Major League Soccer that, that kind of sticks out to you like that? Like, I, I kind of feel like I don't. I kind of feel like that's an archetype I just don't see a lot of. Marco Arena, and I think part of this is LAFC's system, but Marco Arena, at least at the start of the year before he left for the World Cup, was was really good at finding those sorts of passes. Um, that said, like, that's almost all he does. And he's like a super low shots per game, super low expected goals per game. Um, but at least within Bob Bradley's system, he was good at sort of picking those runners off of him. I think Kyrie Shelton as well. Uh, that was something that, um, I talked earlier about, um, we, we kind of had some, some jokes, uh, you know, uh, I had did a fan graphs podcast earlier and uh, I basically called him oatmeal and then called uh, Urena uh, oatmeal with raisins and brown sugar in it, um, which just kind of uh, neither are great because both are oatmeal, but um, you know, one is obviously a little bit better than the other. Still good for you. They're both, 
part of a balanced breakfast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, what about CJ Sapong? CJ Sapong is really interesting for a lot of reasons, Kevin. Uh, you you have done a lot of work looking at Sapong over the last year and a half, I suppose. Do you have any thoughts? I I definitely don't think he's as good a passer as um, Josie is, for example. But he is good with his hold-up play. He's good at drawing defenders. Uh, it's been interesting to see what's happened recently in Philly, right? Because uh, he's been relegated to the wing in favor of, of Corey Burke. And um, he doesn't quite get to do all that hold-up play from the wing. Um, but, and I think Jacob... Uh, on Twitter pointed this out uh, that he won 10 aerial duels on the wing this weekend, which is definitely an unusual. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Kind of place to, to win those balls. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when like a reverse Kai Kamara, right? Like didn't they start Kai Kamara on the wing and eventually move him inside? Yeah. And CJ's played it on the wing at different points in his career before too. I do wonder, right. Um, that's a decent strategy against New England sort of high presses to to hit long balls out of it, mm-hmm. um, out of the back. And so uh, CJ Sapong's probably a better guy to hit those two than Corey Burke is so that he can win those aerial duels. So um, I guess that, that probably factored into some of those statistics. All right. Well, let's um, – I mentioned CJ Sapong mainly because it's a nice segue into the, the next part of our show where I think – uh, we saw an interesting article from uh, Bobby Warshaw this week um, where he talked about how uh, Philadelphia were a – results were fit deceiving. This was a good team. This was not just a good team but a fun team to watch. This was a, uh, a at times exciting team. And uh, I know that also Elliot this week uh, posted uh, a piece where he kind of talked about the good, the bad, the lucky – uh, and he kind of put teams in boxes that were like good, but luck, good and lucky, good but unlucky, bad and unlucky, and bad and well, the other one. Um, and Philadelphia was kind of in that box down there that was good but unlucky. Uh, so I was hoping that maybe uh, I know that I think Kevin, I know Harrison too. Like we've we've definitely had lots of uh, conversations about the Philadelphia Union. Um, is there any like? Uh, is there any, any truth to this? Is there any value in this assessment that, that, that this is a good, good team that's just had some really bad luck? Yeah, I, I think that was a lot of the narrative, especially at the beginning of the season, right? Um, David uh, Akam and CJ Sapong were both sort of missing a lot of sitters, but um, at least most of the analytics community was saying, well, they're, they're getting good chances. Their underlying stats suggest that Philly is probably playing like um, a playoff team, certainly at least an average team. And so, so we should wait and see. And, and now we've see, started to see some of that um, correction recently, right? Philly's playing a lot better. They're getting results. There's something like a 65% chance, according to 538, of, of making the playoffs at this point. Um, so I think that Elliott's analysis definitely fits in with what we've been seeing and talking about um, regarding the union. Yeah, especially when you look at C.J. Sapong. C.J. Sapong is the leader in goals minus expected goals at uh, at five. Um, <clears throat> it's been a rough year for Sapong, and there's a lot of discussion on, that you can have on, you know, why he's missing uh, the quote-unquote sitters, why he's missing shots that um, a lot of times you, you would probably expect a goal to be created off of it. Uh, sometimes it's bad luck. Sometimes it's just a, a lack of lack of concentration or even it's just a lack of uh, knowing the surrounding situation. Um, And and for me, it's, you can't continue to, to have small bad things happen and say that that was, that wasn't luck after a while. I mean, it's just, it's unlucky that those scenarios continue to happen. Right. Um, I know some people might say, well, it's part of a skill. the the occurrence of all that's happened are all different skill sets that makes me feel like, well, yeah, Sapong maybe hasn't been very good this year, and I will totally cede that point. But I think that, that that when you you can also say he's been unlucky, and I think that it both of those can two things can be the same thing, right? Um, it can he can be bad, he can also be unlucky. But I don't think that that necessarily is reflective of Philadelphia as a whole. I think as a whole, Philadelphia has been really good. I mean, um, Bedoya, he is 
the best passer by our expected passing rankings. And um, it, it's if you look at the surrounding uh, individuals, I mean, he's in really elite company. And I think that that's um, at least from my perspective over, over what he's done over the last year and a half, that's not surprising. He's, he's just really taken on that eight role and he's, he's fit into it really well. Um, you know, Doshko is been good, um, maybe a little bit average ish at times, but he's still been good. The, the biggest things that kind of, uh, and Majudin is just been like, he's probably been, um, one of the most underrated players. That entire midfield's probably the most underrated midfield right now in MLS. Yeah, Madujanin is is the <laughs> last year. What was he? He was the key pass king, uh, with those uh, kind of balls out of uh, the deep midfield, and definitely with Bedoya. Bedoya, I think, is is one of those, and I, I was guilty of this that that I kind of fell victim to the Bedoya is not good narrative, and I just refused to see anything else. Um, but yeah, then, you know, when we were talking about our, our all-star teams a few weeks ago, you mentioned Bedoya and, and I had to take a good long hearted look at, at Bedoya's actual output and what he's been doing. And I, I must concede he's been, been quite, quite good. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's part of, that's just how his game is, right? He does the sorts of things that you don't, that don't necessarily stand out. So I've been, um, working on a model the last couple of weeks that measures, um, a player's ability to. Uh, hit difficult passes um, sort of right after they turn the ball over and in particular out of the back. Um, so when, when a team wins the ball back in their own third, um, how, how good are they at completing difficult passes out of that? And uh, Bedoya is sort of far and away the best, the best player in MLS by this, um, by this model. And the other interesting thing is that uh, Mark McKenzie is at number four on there, uh, which is pretty cool to see, um, right? He's been a young guy who's gotten a lot of, uh, well-deserved credit for um, his ability to learn this year, his ability to grow and develop and get better. Um, and he's also been really good at, at passing the ball in transition like that. Um, so, uh, so yes, I agree with, with both you guys about Bedoya and, and about the team more broadly. Yeah, I think Philadelphia as a whole also kind of has suffered from that narrative uh, sort of dissonance where – uh, maybe in a couple of years past, even they were a very dull team. They were a very kind of, um, you know, it's hard to get excited about the Philadelphia Union unless you were a Philadelphia Union fan. And uh, so it's going to be, it's interesting to kind of watch. I know I, I tend to care more about narrative stuff than you guys do, but uh, it's been interesting to see this kind of shift happen just over the last two weeks of of how Philadelphia has kind of. Uh, emerged from the cocoon in, in our consciousness a little bit and is <laughs> still kind of showing off. I think uh, it's great. Yeah. I'll say too that, you know, it's especially interesting that they've um, emerged into the uh, emerged from their cocoon, given that, um, you know, two of the guys that a priori you would have thought would be the most entertaining, El Sino and David Akam uh, have, have struggled this year. El Sino has only played 800 minutes. Um, David Akam has just kind of been bad. So I think it's um, an especially big credit to the union that they are, um, one, playing well without those guys, and two, like, decently fun to watch without those guys doing well. It's really hard when you take an investment on a DP like David Akam if they aren't good. It's hard for MLS teams to mitigate that, and I think Philadelphia have done an excellent job of that. I would agree with that, yes. Let me, let me ask you guys, though, why is Ilsenio not been good? Because from a lot of our metrics, and I, I was asked this today, um, and I really honestly couldn't provide any more of an answer besides the fact that he just does not track back enough. Um, why hasn't he been good? Because by all accounts of our metrics, he's had a pretty decent season. I think this is perception again. I mean, he just looks, he, he kind of, he just looks like he's not involved in a lot. Like he kind of, um, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at his, his underlying numbers because I guess I would have just assumed that, you know, he hadn't done a lot with his minute or he hasn't had a lot of minutes this year. Um, but yeah, I think in the past, definitely like the big criticism I always saw of El Sino was just that he was lazy, which is, uh, always a red flag for me when I see someone call a soccer player that, uh, I will say he scored against the fire at uh, at Philadelphia earlier this year, and he absolutely skinned two defenders on his way to a really nice goal. So he still pulls out those like exciting moments, 
Um, yeah, I, maybe it's an effort thing or a defensive thing, right? That he doesn't isn't able to provide those sorts of things um, across ninety minutes every week. Yeah, maybe shot right. discipline too. I feel like there were a lot of criticisms that he was like popping off when there were passes available, or I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, it's not a guy I've ever paid a, a lot of attention to his underlying stuff. So uh, you, you tell me. Uh, it's interesting that he's been, been successful. Well, yeah, like if you look at his expected passes just within the final third, um, as far as just attacking players, we have it on the website to where, you know, you can, you know, uh, delineate between midfield, attacking midfield and uh, forwards. And largely that's that's dominated by midfielders in the attacking third um, as far as passing scores go. And the attacking midfielders that stand out with any sort of score, you know, obviously Ladero is somebody that that pops up there, but Elisinho is actually not too far behind him. And then you couple that with what Elisinho has done with being able to um, put together dribbles in the attacking third, as you know, Kevin mentioned. Um, it's 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 just surprising. However, you know, you look at the age of 32 and the fact that yeah, he, he maybe's not. Uh, he's a defensive liability that kind of um, maybe makes some, some sense. So, uh, And I think, too, if you're going to play a guy on the wing who is a defensive liability, you play David Akam um, because he, right, El Sino's been, been fine on the dribble and creating, but uh, ideally David Akam gives you a better opportunity to do that. So maybe it's they're thinking about a trade-off there, too. Plus, there's that five years of uh, youth. <laughs> yes, yes. Acom, Acom has more in his legs, yes, right? Yes, the, the young legs, yeah. Yep. All right, so <clears throat> we are sold on the Philadelphia being good, and we're all going to pay more attention to the Philadelphia Union going forward this season? Uh, yeah, I think so. The, the one other thing that I noted down before our conversation um, was that not only are they underperforming their chances, but opponents are overperforming their chances against them. Um, they've allowed like six more goals than expected, or something like that, which isn't a ton, but which is a decent number. And so I, yeah, I would say they're they're doubly unlucky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you spread those six goals out. Yeah, you spread those six goals out over six games. It could be so <clears throat> the difference so yeah, between yeah, yeah six and eighteen points. So exactly. Uh, so, uh, and so yes, I am sold on the union. You are sold on the union, uh, Harrison. Are you buying stock in the Philadelphia Union? Yeah, I, I, I bought stock in the Philadelphia Union at the beginning of the season, to be perfectly honest. I'm not, I, I haven't sold any. I've been a pretty staunch uh, believer that they are going to make the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't, I haven't been worried this season. I don't think that there's any real holes. I, I am not sure whether or not they're a team that has the upward mobility. Um, I, they have the opportunity to get and score some really awesome goals, but there, there's a definitely a, a punch that's that's lacking. I, I don't know if they're really a team that's gonna that could upset Atlanta or New York City or even the Red Bulls. I, I kind of I do legitimately wonder about that. Yeah, that they're right. They're they're missing some of that talent, some of the top level talent, and you know they're they have been unlucky, right? But they're underlying numbers are still just better than average, right? They're still as good as a playoff team that gets uh, an away game in the first round, not uh, and probably not any better than that. Or can I ask, are we buying stock for the next three years, maybe? Do we think that the youth movement that they're trying to engender and that, um, that Ernst Tanner, who they just brought in, are the right pieces to move them further uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, I bought a lot of stock in Real Salt Lake last season, so we, we see how that's gone. Um, but I need to replace it with some new stock, so I'm going to get Philadelphia Union stock. <clears throat> if there's anything, like, for people that, that uh, you know, I see that the, the player kids hashtag a lot. Like, this is a team that does that, and it is really, really fun to watch. Um, it's a great back line. I mean, you, you got Jack Elliott and Trusty. I mean, like, even Elliott can get moved to the bench, and you still have a decent back line back there, and um they, they need him to score the goals though that's right uh goal score uh jack elliott i was so uh partway thrilled to see that and partly disappointed because i just traded him in in my fantasy league uh the week before so of course he did that to show me something but um and then also like even in midfield like uh najem and and, and like uh fontana like there's there's some there's some really really interesting talent coming through those those uh coming through that system yep Derek, Derek jones and they've got a place to play when they're not getting minutes on the first team which is 
which is huge. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely hemp steel. Very, very cool. Um, <clears throat> so you sold Harrison. Oh yeah, absolutely, and not only that, they have actually a couple. They have a couple of youngers, youngsters in the pipeline there, uh, down at uh, Bethlehem as well. That are a 17-year-old winger that shows a lot of promise. And the name escapes me presently. I was actually trying to uh, trying to look that up. He, he's, <laughs> he, he shows a lot of similarities to Andrew Carlton, uh, just being able to beat some players out on the on the dribble. And I think that there is some expectation that he might have an opportunity this season. But with some of the injuries that he's had, it's kind of derailed uh, whether or not he he would get any of those minutes. I would have liked to see Anthony Fontana get a few minutes this year. I feel like he's warranted it uh, in, in both the, the Open Cup uh, performances also as well as uh, the one league uh, opportunity he had as well. I thought both both times he, he was interesting, but um, when you're constantly just above the red line, I suppose it's a little bit hard to justify, uh, you know, giving him those minutes when, when you have a healthy uh, first team ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like a better bet to give him minutes earlier in the season when Doge Cow was still, uh, right? He spent the first month just like looking pretty bad at soccer, uh, but he's settled in and been a pretty nice player since then. So I guess it makes less sense to give Fontana those minutes um, because of that. All right. And speaking of young players, look at this, another segue. Harrison, it's your favorite segment. It's Harrison's Young Guns. Yeah, so uh, really exciting news. It appears Hendwala Bawana is healthy um, and and is training again for the Seattle Sounders. I'm I, personally, I thought that the Sounders didn't do enough during the uh, transfer window. They had hoped to. They had a lot of allocation money to play with. And there was the hope that they were going to bring in, you know, some additional attackers, especially with Victor Rodriguez, uh, chronic injuries, and some of the different things that just continue to uh, kind of riddle this this team from on from the attacking perspective and they just really weren't able to to get anything worked out um, obviously they were able to add uh, Raul Ruiz who kind of takes the Jordan Morris role um, up top with adding some speed alongside Will Bruin but uh, ultimately um, and, and I suppose you could probably add Brad Smith who showed uh, some interesting uh, some good pace, although none of the, his real opportunities uh, came to fruition. Um, you could probably add him to the mix as well as being uh, somebody that's um, dynamic in the attack. But ultimately, they they kind of were missing that one player that they could have added uh, and add to their 18 to kind of bring off the bench and be a difference maker. And Hendwala Buwana showed really interesting stuff uh, early on in the season, even earning some starts. Uh, yeah, there there were some opportunities where guys got injured, and obviously there was uh, the, the team, the the whole roster was looking a little ragged at at, at times. But uh, he he earned some starts over uh, some other players, and you know that was really promising to see Brian Schmetzer have that type of confidence in him. And to the point where he was in 300 minutes, he has he's still third in successful dribbles on the Sounders team. He's uh, one of uh, I think he's 13th overall in successful uh, dribbles in the in what is it uh, success in the final third and dribbles att- with a minimum of 20 dribbles attempted. Um, under 24. So I mean, he has a lot of young players that he's uh, very. I suppose you could say are, are very reminiscent of. So um, one player specifically, and I don't want to get carried away with uh, making comparisons, but he's very, he has a lot of underlying numbers to what Alfonso Davies did last year. And not to, you know, jump the gun, Alfonso Davies was 16, Bawana just turned 21. There's obviously some, some huge discrepancies as far as age and, and talent. Um, but, what Buana is doing on a per 90 basis right now is really, really interesting. It's really exciting, especially when you consider they need help in the attack. And so I would really hope that that's something that they turn to, uh, that they turn to Buana and they give him those minutes. I think it, it would add a lot of punch, especially late in games with uh, that overlapping play between either Smith or Nuhu and, uh, and Buana there on the left side. Um, uh, additionally, the one thing that we're not seeing from him 
uh, and uh, granted, it's been 300 minutes, so it's take it with a grain of salt. The other side is Emmanuel Boateng, who came into the league and did a lot of similar stuff, uh, but really there was never any uh, end production from him. Um, he could beat guys out wide, but then it just kind of ended in a in a failed cross, and there was never any uh, there was never end product. There was never a shot creation. There was never. Um, he wasn't contributing to the attack in any real concrete way, um, despite the fact that he could beat guys repetitively on the outside. And that's something that, I, you know, if I'm the Sounders, I definitely want to, to take into consideration, hey, yeah, you can beat guys to the outside. Once you do, make sure you're trying to cut inside. Make sure you're looking for Will Bruin, looking for Rui Diaz, um, and don't just cross it, but rather, you know, you're looking for these guys uh, to put the ball at the top of the 18 to provide some uh, some opportunities to to create and maybe even uh, create a shot for uh, himself as well. So, I know you're dying to say something about Brad Smith at this point, though. Brad Smith was great. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. He's a Are great sh- left-handed reliever for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't <laughs> sure he played soccer. Yeah, he could be. He could be uh, on the on the MLB I totally Pangos. stole that one uh, from Kevin. So yeah, earlier today. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I would say is that uh, with Juana, you know, it's it's um, there is this like archetype of player that we talk about, like Davies. Maybe we were worried that was the direction he was kind of got to go into. Is like, what if he just was this fast dribbly guy with no end product? And then, you know, this year we started seeing so much end product. Uh, Boateng, like you mentioned, you know, unless he's playing RSL, there's no end product. Uh, there's like, uh, this used to be like a, a pretty, I feel like you used to see this player get a lot of minutes in this league. And I kind of feel like that that player over the last few years has really been shuffled out towards the sidelines a bit. So, it's, I don't know. It's a. It, it, I, I agree with you that Juana is is a uh, interesting player, and I it, I want to make sure I understood this correctly. He has the third most successful dribbles total in his three hundred minutes. Right, for the Sounders, he's tied for third. All right, that's Sounders don't dribble much, do they? No, no, they they really don't have guys that can do a lot of one on one. Christian Roldan and uh, Nicholas Ladero are ahead of him. I bl- he's tied with someone like Nuhu, I think, uh, for third. Uh, I'm I'm purely going off recollection. How how much value does Schmetzer see in playing him this year to develop him? Even though it may be, I mean, does does he give the Sounders the best chance of hitting their ceiling? Or um, is playing someone who's a bit more consistent, maybe? Um, does that give them a better chance to succeed in the playoffs? I don't know. I think that's a question you can kind of ask around around right now uh, throughout. Especially, I mean, we, we talked about uh, New York Red Bulls earlier. And they have a couple of really young players that um, probably deserve some, some minutes. And, you know, it's funny because when I was looking at uh, comparisons for Buona, the other name that kind of resonated in my head was Derek uh, and I'm going to Atien. Yeah, Atien. Um, he Atien is another one of those dribbly guys that can get out wide, has a lot of space, likes to cut inside. Which I personally, I love the fact that he cuts more inside than he, he wants to go away from goal. Um, but I mean, similar players. I think he deserves. I mean, he only has 800 minutes. He's been used largely in a sub. Uh, role this year, so it's been good to see him get more minutes. Um, I, I would say that that's probably exactly the same role that we'd want to see Boana in going forward. But um, you know, it, it it seems like all these teams, uh, RSL included, um, kind of have one or two different guys that could potentially be difference makers that are you know under 22. But it, the question is whether or not the the coach will risk them being inconsistent and personally it's not my job uh you know to to make that call but at the same time um i mean at a certain point you have to start developing these players and i feel like we're missing a lot of opportunities in the name of you know a 14 minute sub right i mean and they tell you i mean you look at when you're kind of like uh, bringing these people on, if you're looking for difference makers at the end of the game, usually it's 
to a certain objective, right? Like, oh, we need to get a goal. And these raw kids, they tend to be a little bit more wasteful in possession. They tend to make questionable decisions when shooting. They tend to make, uh, you know, uh, they, they kind of run into defenders at times like that. And I think that that kind of hurts them. They actually would be better off playing more, um, getting less pressured opportunities. Do you know what I mean? Uh, say again? Well, just that, like they kind of like when you're you're asking these young kids to kind of come on in these like kind of clutch moments. Oh, we really need a goal. There's 15 minutes left, and then you know they kind of show these sort of um, these tendencies to like, oh, I'm going to shoot instead of pass here, where it looked like the pass was the better option. You know, just raw stuff that that, that you know inexperienced players do. They make yeah. I hate when I hate when young players come on and make dynamic moves and create shots. That is the worst. <laughs> No, but I think, right, I think your bigger point is that they're playing when, uh, at times when the decision-making might look differently than it does during general, regular run of play. Um, and I think that's fair. They probably, right, I, young players probably need experience in both sorts of situations. Um, you know, when it's 0-0 at the start of a non-conference game and also um, in those higher leverage, more important uh, scenarios. Yeah, and that's why you see teams that have really good USL sides, Bethlehem Steel, uh, Red Bulls in their program. Like, I think that you see these kids come up and they seem a little bit more sharp, a little bit more match ready because they get the experience in, in both those things. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and, and I can totally see the merit that uh, game states are going to change the experience, right? But there are going to be trash minutes, and in those trash minutes, uh, you see a lot of coaches reward veterans rather than uh, try to play young players. And in a lot of those moments, sometimes they don't even have a young player in the 18 to reward or or give that experience, and that's, I mean, that's even a bigger pet peeve. Like that's that's just frustrating. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you there. That, yeah. And you're in your garbage minute times. You're trying to kill a sub or you're trying to kill a clock and you got eight minutes left and you put in. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good time to bring on bring on your kids. So we agree on that. We agree on that. So that is that is your young gun for the week. And while Abwana, we'll see if uh, we'll see how he progresses throughout the year. I'm, I'm interested to see this this whole uh, 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 pitch you've given uh, it makes me makes me excited to see see what he does if he gets some more minutes. So. Um, I think we have one last segment today. It's it's a new segment that will only be probably used when Kevin is on the show, but we'll do it. Uh, it's Kevin's MLS History Quarter. Kevin, take it yeah. away. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, not necessarily MLS history, more uh, U.S. soccer landscape history. Um, and, and speaking of young guns who have gotten minutes, uh, in the LAFC Real Salt Lake game uh, this week, Nick Romando came out at halftime and was replaced with uh, Andrew Putna. I um, went to soccer camp one summer with Andrew Putna. He was a fantastic goalie from Lamont, Illinois. Uh, and, and the bit of history is that um, his dad was also a fantastic player. He played in college at Indiana and holds the record for the most uh, shutouts in a single season. Uh, from the, the 1978 season, of course, when Indiana University lost to the San Francisco Dons uh, in the national championship game. Um, and then he, he went on to be drafted uh, into the NASL, uh, John Putna did, by the San Diego Soccers, um, which, which right on the one hand, sort of a ridiculous name for a professional sports team, right? There's no um, Chicago baseball uh, getting named a team. I've never actually... I've only read that name, and I've read it like I think they spell it, which is the S-O-C-K, like a punch. Uh, I've never actually heard it out loud and realized it is just uh, it, it just soccer. That is that is a terrible name. You're yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so they do have decent history. Um, Fernando Clavijo played for them. Ah. Uh, Mark Chung played for them. And, and to keep the uh, I mean, parents- this is football. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's not a yeah, big deal. Right. I'm so, I am so happy right. to have a Mark Chung reference on this show. Um, yeah, that was fun. It, the season before he went to uh, Kansas City, he played with the San Diego Soccers. Uh, and then the, the other um, parent-child reference that comes out of that is uh, Victor Nagara, who played for the Soccers, uh, is the father of uh, Casey Lloyd, who played for FC... Uh, Kansas City in the NWSL and also for the U.S. Women's National Team and is uh, now married to Zach Lloyd. Um, so uh, so nice familial relations on the San Diego Soccers. And I would ask uh, any of our listeners, Paul Carr, if you're listening, to 
uh, pick out any other uh, parent-child pairs from uh, specifically goalkeepers, hopefully, from first division soccer in America. That was the only one I found was the two Putinists, but uh, probably there's some other ones out there. Was there a moment at the soccer camp where you looked at him and knew that he'd be a professional goalkeeper and he looked at you and knew that you'd be a USSF hackathon champion? (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) he was really good. He was a year younger than us and was playing up a year. Uh, So I do remember him being a really good goalkeeper. And, you know, I probably had my my uh, pocket calculator with me the whole time. And he, he looked over at me and thought, man, that guy's really good at math, I think probably happened. Probably hack up. All right. I love, I love MLS history corner. I want to do that more. Uh, that's great. Uh, I want to all... know why, why nerds are always like referenced with pocket calculators. Why is that a thing? You, you don't have how one you, yeah, in your pocket you... right now. How else, yeah, how else do you calculate things? That's a phone now, Harrison, <laughs> but yeah, you've got one. Uh, Nerd culture, alas. Uh, that is all we have got time for today. That was fun, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank uh, Harrison Crow, as always. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, Kevin, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Kevin Minkus. You can find him uh, on Twitter or in every other one of Matt Doyle's uh, weekly soccer articles, uh, where his tweets are often <laughs> referenced. Uh, Kevin is a fantastic follow. Uh, I learn a lot just from... Uh, reading his tweets uh, you can you. find me on twitter at a handle for ian uh follow the website that's at analysis evolved on twitter.com and please visit www.americansocceranalysis.com i say it every week it's never been more true than it is this week so much content everyday content going up we've had the scheduled content for next week we had so much content this week so be sure to check that out over the next couple weeks really exciting piece about xpg which if you read the one a couple weeks ago you'll know is, is very very exciting going forward Um, Thank you all once again for listening. We will be back as always next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. won't air Nobody gets the word Cause they